0: Renaissance, what's up, y'all? Shout out to everybody. Yes, y'all can clap it up. Shout out to everybody with us online and everybody with us in the building. I like those sneakers, gee, those are are kind of fly. Hey, so I wanna uh, talk about a a day, actually probably one of the scariest days uh, of my life, and I I don't say this jokingly. It was about uh, probably 11 years ago now, and I was in the hospital, not for me, but I was actually with my late wife and we were waiting to get some news about uh, her upcoming, um, uh, the test that she just took and how her progress in chemotherapy was going. And man, it was like Saturday morning and I knew the results were coming out that Monday and I, I, I don't know what happened, like what kicked it off, but I just started to feel like I was having a heart attack like um man i just couldn't slow my breathing down i broke into like a full sweat and i was having chest pains and i was like terrified and the more uh terrified i get i got the the worse the breathing got and it was just a really compounding effect and the best way i know how to describe it was that like i was really looking for the off switch and say jordan you're bugging but i i could not find it at all uh, later that day, actually, uh, my late wife's cardiologist came into the room, and, you know, when he was done doing her exam, I went to him, I said, listen, I know you're here for her, but I actually feel like I had a heart attack this morning, and he grabbed my wrist, did some little, you know, cardiologist stuff. This is why they charge people, like, $9,000 an hour just to touch your wrist, um, and he said, Jordan, you didn't you didn't have a heart attack. Uh, you, had a, you had a panic attack. You had an anxiety attack, and I was like, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't even know what that is, Doc, like, that's I had a heart attack, like my chest was pounding, I was sweating, I don't know how good you are at your job, but I just had a heart attack this morning. And uh, he told me that there's probably the best medicine he could prescribe me was some exercise, some sleep, and to go talk to a therapist. Uh, That scenario, while not as bad in future events, I've I've had the same thing happen to me a couple of times. The most recent one happened again, uh, actually at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, when we were trying to decide whether or not we would cancel service, uh, the answer to that was, yes, we definitely should have, and we did. But I was sitting in our church office by, oursel- by myself, and I just kept on thinking about all of the scenarios, about what could go wrong, and all of the different things. And we didn't, know, we didn't know anything about the pandemic just yet. And it happened again. Like I just felt like my heart beating, and I was trying my best to catch my breath. And I felt, again, like I was having... A heart attack. Now May is Mental Health Awareness Month and there's so many times in particularly communities of faith that we just don't discuss the realities of what mental health looks like and the challenges and the struggles um, for people that you might not know from the surface. So I've been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder which I guess the official definition of it is uh, it's characterized by excessive and uncontrollable and often irrational worry about events or activities. So it's like I have a really good imagination about all the things that can go wrong, and those stories kind of play themselves in my brain, and I look for the off switch, and I I can't really find it sometimes. Now, anxiety disorder doesn't mean that I get anxious in every scenario, like I'm standing here talking in front of people. Uh, I would have a terrible job for a person if if public speaking made me me anxious. but it's just so many different people who have a variety of different mental health concerns. And for me, I have been very fortunate to have therapy and counseling. And I tell that story not so that you would feel bad for me, but because I really do feel like I'm, I'm thriving. Um, I, I meet with my therapist twice a month, um, and that for me has been like, it's amazing. It's the best medicine I can have. I don't wake up in the morning feeling anxious, or uh, I don't feel like the, the light switch is out of reach from me. And what I hope that you do with that is uh, two things. One, man, I hope that we are characterized, uh, people of faith, with uh, curiosity and concern for people, that even if someone is off-putting or doing something that's a little wrong or off, that we don't automatically judge or dismiss them, but that we're wondering what this person may or may not be struggling with that you could never see on the surface. So it makes us as more gracious people. I think we would do a whole lot better to just be more gracious. Uh, and secondly, it would do us so much, it would bring us so much joy if we could be a part of your journey in mental health. Now, what I want you to do, if you have any struggle, whether it's um, depression, anxiety, uh, potentially even suicidal ideations, whatever it is, there's nothing to be embarrassed about, right? Like, we can't choose our mental health struggles. I can't choose my mental health struggles any more than I can choose my physical struggles. I could not preserve my hairline, uh, (laughs) though I tried, I didn't, you know what I'm saying, I didn't go with the plugs and nothing like that, but you know what I'm saying, I I did Rogaine for a couple of months and it didn't work. (laughs) I could not prevent myself from having physical issues in the same way I couldn't prevent myself from having uh, mental health issues. And there's nothing to be ashamed of, and we would love to walk alongside you, whether that's in plugging you in with a counselor, a therapist, whether that's in helping you financially, whatever the scenario is for you. We want you to thrive in mind, body, and spirit. Uh, And we believe in prayer. We believe in fasting. We believe that God can do anything. But we also believe that God calls us to walk in wisdom. And God has given us amazing therapists and doctors and all these resources at our disposal. So if that's you, I want you to email grace at renaissancenyc.com. Grace, G-R-A-C-E. That's uh, grace like a theological concept. Grace at renaissancenyc.com. And we would love... Uh, one of our deacons will reach out to you about what it looks like for you to uh, benefit from the mental health resources that we have uh, in front of us so let me pray for us before we get into today's message Uh, god our father um, i just am always honored and humbled whenever we get a chance to uh, talk about you to, uh, to other people father i pray that in this moment you would meet everybody exactly where we are lord you know exactly what we need to hear Lord, you know what I need to hear. Father, I pray that you would inhabit this time and be in this room in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now the most important question you should ever be asking yourself is this, what is God like? The Most important thing about you is how you would answer that question, what is God like? How does God approach you? What does like, it really mean to be in a real relationship with God? Now, every single week, whenever we come to service, we seek to take our eyes off of ourselves and to put them up vertically to answer that question, what is God like? Now, the reason we turn to scriptures and in, in different passages uh, in, in the Bible is because God reveals himself to us in, in scripture. See, we're so damaged by this concept of, uh, of just what you see all throughout the pages of Scripture called sin. That sin is not just something we do, but it's also something that kind of blinds us. So we can't even really make out what God is like fully. And the best way to understand what God is like is to turn to pages in Scripture and let him reveal uh, to us what, what he is like. And today, as we are continuing in our series in Exodus, uh, we're looking at a Scripture about Uh, A concept called mercy. Now, we touched on this a little bit last week. Uh, If you were to be reading through the Bible in a year, uh, you should have been through Exodus by now because it's May, and if you ain't through Exodus, then you ain't gonna get there. Let me just be the first to tell you. Uh, And if you were to read through the book of Exodus, uh, you'll hit up like a big chunk, and there's a big chunk in these pages where it just talks about the construction of this tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle was a place where God would meet his people And there's this entire set of instructions on what kind of wood you have to use, the poles, the priests, their turbans, and all of these ornate details. And there is a really, really, really vital detail that's included in Exodus 25 that I want us to to look at. Uh, It gives us one small snippet here in Exodus 25, but it's actually a theme that we see all throughout Scripture. And here's what it says in verse 22 it says, I will meet you there. This is God speaking. I will meet you there above the mercy seat between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony. I will speak with you from there about all that I command you regarding the Israelites. So God is speaking to Moses and he says, Moses, the place where I'm going to meet you is above the mercy seat. Here's what I found in this scripture and so many all throughout the Bible. What connects us and God What makes a connection between us and God possible is mercy. Mercy is what we all need. And mercy is one of the most misunderstood concepts in the Bible. And there's so many people who know theologically what mercy is, but yet it's not something that we apply to our lives. So God tells Moses that I'm gonna meet you there above the mercy seat. And the place where divinity and humanity meet is in mercy. Now, mercy has a lot of ways of being understood and being misunderstood, but at its core, I would define mercy or God's mercy as this. God's mercy to us is unearned, compassionate forgiveness. God's mercy to you is unearned, compassionate forgiveness. God's mercy to you is unearned, compassionate forgiveness. Now, all throughout Scripture, we see these concepts going, uh, playing themselves out. And a couple of different things about these concepts. Now, mercy, by its very definition, has everything to do with the source, the one giving the mercy, and really not too much to do with the recipient. When we think about God's mercy, we oftentimes start in the wrong place when we analyze and evaluate the recipient, whether or not he or she is worthy of mercy. But what I want us to do today is I want us to fight against the knee-jerk reaction to think about whether or not you are deserving of mercy or whether or not I am deserving of mercy, whether or not Nets fans are deserving of mercy, (laughs) but rather whether or not God is merciful. That's the question before us. Is God merciful? Does mercy ooze out of God's being? In his infinite nature, is this something, an attribute that God possesses, Um, and unearned, compassionate forgiveness for us. Now, unearned is a really big concept, and this is the the first aspect of it. Uh, One theologian said it like this, the very nature of mercy, in order for it to actually truly be mercy, is that it rightfully could have been withheld. Right, so that's the first aspect of mercy, is that in order for it to truly be merciful, means that the person giving it did not have to give it, and would have been in their right uh, in, in the right to withhold it. And that by volition, by choice, there is something inside of them that decides to go against the rubric of right and wrong and to extend something called mercy. And mercy is, not also, is also compassionate. Uh, mercy is intended to bridge the gap whenever there has been a fracture. So when there's been a wrong in a relationship, whether that relationship is personal or whether that relationship is professional, mercy is required to bridge something where there has been a breach and a break. God, when his, in his mercy towards us, it's not about a destination, it's not about theology, it's about you. God wants to bridge a relationship between us and him. And God takes a step towards extending mercy to us and mercy is also its forgiveness. Now, the way that you and I, sinful people, can come to a holy, perfect, righteous, and just God, we can't come any old way. The only way we can approach God in His holiness and His perfection is through through mercy, that God actually um, wipes our slate clean and forgives us. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around someone if you owe them money, right? But like, it always feels weird if you're around somebody who, if you owe them money like, y'all could be going out to eat, and you know you owe them like $30 and you haven't paid them yet. And you're hungry, you're like, nah, I'm about to just drink this water. I'm, I'm straight, man. I'm... <laughs> Until you repay them, it just feels awkward between you. I think the same concept is true with us and God. That if there were still a debt that was hanging over our head, you would never truly be able to rest and be in God's presence. If, the God, if you owed God a debt, like if God still required something of you that wasn't paid in Christ then you and I would never truly be able to be in God's presence. And God tells Moses he wants to meet with him at this mercy seat, acknowledging that it is certainly unearned and compassionate, but it also truly is forgiveness, that God has made a way for us to stand in his presence, and it hasn't happened through us. We see it happening through through Christ. Now, one of the things that's really interesting about my job and profound and probably a, a real deep joy is that I get to be around couples at every stage in their relationship. So I'm around when they're dating and they like each other um, and they share the french fries at dinner. Um, and they're like, oh, no, no, it's cool. We can share the fries, you know. You can just take 75% of them. I just wanna look at you eat. <laughs> I just wanna look at you eat the french fries. It makes me full just looking at you eat, eat them. And then the relationship gets real and they, you know, start meeting the folks and meeting the parents and the in-laws and all that good stuff. And uh, I even uh, get a chance to marry some folks and I, I know who the criers are. I know who the criers are during premarital counseling. I'm like, we don't even have to, to wait until, we, until you get to the altar. You, now you're not even gonna make it uh, three steps before you start crying. Uh, and I also get to, unfortunately, be a part of, um, man, real hard stuff in people's relationships. Uh, stuff that, man, this has been like real damage. And I, I was talking to this one um, couple a couple of years ago and there was no safety concerns, so it wasn't anything where um, there was any abuse or anything like that. But there was, like, some serious breaches happening in their relationship. And I'll never forget talking to them. And this was the type of situation to where if we told 100 people and said, oh, yeah, they're going to end it or, he, you know, that, that person's going to end it, you would have never been like, oh, man, they're crazy for ending it. Like, everybody would have said, oh, yeah, you're in your right. You have the right to just... This is, you know, party done. Like, this is done, bro. Like, this, is, this doesn't need to go on anymore. And I'll, I'll never forget having conversations with them and hearing the person say, I'm going to extend them mercy because I believe in what we have built. I believe in them uh, and this power of redemption that they believed in. And their marriage is now a, a sign and wonder to God's grace and his mercy to me that I, I've seen uh, in, in life because of that. It was 1 million percent unearned. It was one million percent compassionate because this person was thinking about the other person and it was forgiveness. It was wiping the slate clean, not requiring that debt to be repaid. Now, these are sinful people that are doing this. When we hear the concept that God is merciful, I want us to hear that when you approach God, He is a type of God, not based off of you, not based off of your record, but based on Himself, that He is merciful. The thing about mercy is that mercy is always about the source, never about the recipient. Mercy is always about the source and it's never about the recipient. The person choosing to give mercy is always choosing to forgive a real wrong and whether or not they do that is based on them, not you. How God deals with you is not based off of you, it's based off of him. God is not waiting in heaven for you to read your Bible on Thursday morning to decide whether or not to be merciful. He's not like, well, how long did she read? A Psalm, that's it? That's all we're gonna do is a Psalm? That's how good I've been, just one, a short one? God is not doing that. God is merciful. Now, the best way to understand God is through his word that he gives to us. And we see this in so many different places. If you do a Google search on God's mercy, you will be blessed. And actually, I I really recommend this. If you're struggling with the concept Google it. Go to the big G in the sky. Google. And, um, and Google scriptures on that concept or that topic. And let God's word wash over you like hurricane floods. Read so much of it that you are just lost in whatever uh, God's word is telling you for that day. And here's a couple of scriptures that I wanna, uh, want you to consider this morning. Uh, how God wants to be described for himself. Joel 2 and 13, it says, And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Psalm 103.8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Romans 5 and 8 says, But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Now there's a word that was listed in two of those scriptures called abounding. It means that God got it. In Ephesians 2, uh, the, the scripture writer Paul says that God is rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. Uh, now, you know, uh, thinking about rich people, uh, we have a couple of friends who are very wealthy. Uh, not my friends. My friends are mostly degenerates. My wife's friends, they are, a couple of them, they've done quite well for themselves. And um, to hang out with them, when you hang out with rich people, you're like, uh, I, can't do I can't do it like they do it. <laughs> I got a check-ins and I got a savings. And the way my bank account is set up, <laughs> uh, I just can't, I, I can't ball out like that. Um, we were hanging out with some of her friends one night and we went to this one spot and this was pre-COVID when you were allowed to be around people for real. And, um, you know, we get there, it's a nice night, no kids, and a, there's a line of like four people. Uh, her friend was outraged, he's like, I'm not waiting in line, pulls out a black card and is like, yo, how much for a table? I'm like, oh, that's, that's what we're doing today, we just going, <laughs> we're taking the black card out. Now rich people do stuff that I couldn't do and wouldn't do, because the next morning I would have woken up so miserable that I did something for no reason, like try to buy a, a, a table, um, but he's rich and he did it, and he just swiped it so confidently. Like, here you go, swipe it away. Didn't ask the prices, none of this. And this is what rich people can do. God is, he's rich in mercy. He's rich in it. He swipes. He don't even, he don't check his account. He doesn't ask when the billing cycle is, 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 is it's coming up next. God just swipes. Because he is rich in mercy. And mercy is about the source, not the recipient. Now, mercy is not cheap. I don't want to hear anybody, uh, I don't want anybody to hear me make mercy to be out something that, that, that's cheap, because mercy certainly is, is not cheap. Uh, God's mercy for us is, and God's forgiveness to us is very, very costly, actually. It actually, in one writer in First Peter, he talks about that, don't you know that you were redeemed not with the blood of bulls and lambs and goats, but with the precious blood of the Son of God? If you really wanted to nerd out theologically, uh, go back to Exodus and see what this foreshadows in Scripture. Uh, This Scripture in Exodus 25, 22 about the mercy seat actually points to the person of Jesus Christ coming. In John 20, it says this, uh, Mary Magdalene uh, had come to the tomb of Christ only to find it empty. As she stooped down to look in, she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Now, back in Exodus, there were, there were two cherubim that flanked the mercy seat, looking at each other. And cherubim were angels, these golden angels with these wings that were covering over the mercy seat. And we see this fulfilled in Christ that no longer is it just an ark that is in a tabernacle, but it's now two angels looking into the tomb, the empty tomb of Christ. For, and, and what Exodus does is it foreshadows for us the mercy we find in Christ. God's mercy given to us was, was not cheap. It was given to us in a person of Jesus. Uh, but I, I still think uh, we, we struggle with this concept of mercy for a number of reasons. The first really big reason is this, that we have been in so many unmerciful relationships. So many cold, calloused, harsh, uh, vindictive relationships. Now, some of these relationships were the ones that mattered the most to us when we were young. It was our parents and there was just no mercy to be found. It might've been presented as for your good. We want you to do well in school and we want you to do these things, but your dealings with your parents might've just been extremely unmerciful. And to hear that God is merciful is difficult to compute and to put into your life because it just doesn't add up. All your life you've known a compassionless approach to you and it's either you did the right thing or you did the wrong thing and you were punished or you were given rewards accordingly, but it wasn't about receiving mercy from a parent. It it might've been a parent, it might've been in any number of relationships, where we have learned through our lived experiences that mercy is not something that we should be expecting. So to hear God describe himself as abounding in steadfast love, rich in mercy, it's difficult for us to compute it. So that's one end in terms of the experiences of our life, but I also think theologically, we just have the wrong approach to basically every topic in in the Bible. In every single topic in the Bible, we always start with ourselves. Today's message, in preparing for it, I spent so much time thinking about this concept of mercy through my lens and whether or not Jordan deserves mercy. So this past week, last Sunday, I taught on uh, what it means to spend time with God. And I was like, this is your greatest. And I looked at the camera and I pointed this is your highest obligation, your greatest joy and reward and a bunch of stuff. And Thursday it was like, well, uh, I overslept and I had to do this and I had to do that. And Before I know it, even though I'm the one talking about spending time with God and making it your highest priority, I was at the office, trapped in a million different Zooms um, and missing out on the very thing I decided to do. And when I looked at the concept of mercy for me, I'm like, yo, I don't deserve it. But mercy is about the source not the recipient. All of us approach topics like this and whether or not you deserve mercy. You evaluate whether or not you would forgive someone based on whether or not you think they deserve mercy. And that's because we have a human-centered approach to almost every way that we approach God. And our human-centered approach always starts like this. We ask ourselves the question of what did I do? So we start with what did I do? And it's usually some combination of something you were not supposed to do that you did or something that you were supposed to do that you didn't do. And from there, we go into a self-loathing cycle, where from there we'd say, well, if I did this, then this makes me this. So for me, I preached on the presence of God and spending time there, and I missed a day or two, and um, I said, I'm a hypocrite. I am a hypocrite. I'm the type of person that would stand on the stage and and preach, and then I I would let the busyness of life overcome me as well. And well, then who is? So then, the third question we ask after that is, uh, well, what has God done, right? I'm like, well, God is you know kind of distant from me right now. If I can work hard enough, I'll get back into His presence. And then when I answer the question last, who is God? I think to myself, well, God is. He's there. He's real. But I, I just don't know what the answer is. Scripture always calls us to reverse that order. Never start with yourself. The purpose of life, the purpose of scripture reading is not so you can think about you. It's not so you can think about what you have done, but rather to take our eyes off of ourselves and put them on God. The first and most important question you are to answer this week, this month, this year is who is God? What is God like? How do we approach God? We say, well, who is God? God is merciful. Start there before you go down the list of anything else. Um, This past week, I was reading through the book of Jonah, and Jonah is a mercifully short book, and it's a really profound book. Uh, Most books in the Old Testament that are uh, prophetic books, they're all about this message, that God is delivering this message to a people, but Jonah isn't about a message. Jonah is about a messenger and God's relationship to him, and in the book of Jonah, God calls a man named Jonah to go to this land of Nineveh to prophesy against Nineveh for all of the evil it had committed. Jonah, for those of you who have read the Sunday School story, runs away from his obligation, what God is calling him to do, and goes in the opposite direction. God swallows him up, spits him out on the shore, forces him to go back and go to Nineveh. And it's really hard for us to even understand the complexity of what God was calling Jonah to do because we hear the word Nineveh, and it doesn't really mean anything to us. Think about your most hated uh, enemy, The person that, like, if something bad were to happen to them, you would get a little smirk. You would feel bad about it for a second, but you would probably have a little smirk to think about. And I, I'm tempted to even make a joke here, but I, I really want us to sit in a, a little bit of discomfort for a second. Think about a people group, a, a person on a political stance, whatever the issue is, whatever it is. Somebody that you have real deep uh, abhorrence might be too strong of a word, but somebody that embodies a position that you just cannot stand. The Ninevites were killing uh, the Jewish people left and right. They were brutal. There was a lot of blood on their hands, and God is going to say, Jonah, I want you to go to them and prophesy to them so that I don't destroy them. Jonah was like, destroy them. Yeah, I'm not going over there. So then Jonah reluctantly goes and prophesies, and the Ninevites repent. And in Jonah 4, Jonah is furious. He says, uh, he, he prayed to the Lord, Lord, isn't this what I said? When I was still at home, that, I tried to, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing the Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. What Jonah shows us is a theme that we see all throughout scripture, and it's this. God is merciful. He gives unearned, compassionate forgiveness to people who do not deserve it. What would it look like if you actually believed that? How would it change your prayer life? I want to ask you all to raise your hands, but how many of you start your prayers off with just the laundry list of you expressing your disappointments in yourself before you feel like you can start the prayer? Like, I really wanna ask God about this job, but Lord, I'm so sorry that I didn't pray yesterday as long as I needed to. And we just go down this self-loathing process because we believe mercy is about us, about the recipient. And mercy is not about the recipient. Mercy is about the source. Who is God? God is, he's merciful. It's not cheap mercy, but God is, he's merciful. He gives mercy to people who don't deserve it. Whether or not you can believe it, that's still the truth of who he is. None of us would ever have, we wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for God's grace and his mercy for us. Page after page in scripture, we see that God is, he's merciful. And we need to let that truth wash over us. So what has God done? Man, here's a beautiful truth. God gives you new mercies every single day, every single morning. Lamentations 3, it says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God gives you new mercies every single morning. Think about that. God gives you new mercies every single morning. Why? Because he's rich in mercy, and mercy is about the source, not the recipient. So who is God? God is merciful, what has he done? He gives us mercy even though we don't deserve it. Who am I? I am a recipient of God's mercies. I'm a recipient of God's mercies towards me, and what should I do? What should you do in light of the fact that God is merciful to you? Well, I think if we actually believed it, one, for sure, it would change the way we treat other people. Jesus gives a a parable of the unmerciful servant, a man who owed this great king an enormous amount of money and the king, for whatever reason, decides out of his own richness to forgive the man of this, this great debt. The man later finds somebody who owed him a pack of Cheetos and had that man thrown in jail. And Jesus said to the King when he found out through the man who he had been forgiven in, in jail, and what that story shows us is that we live in a, a prison of unforgiveness and unmerciful behavior when we refuse to truly interpret what it looks like to truly receive this great mercy from our king. Now, the main reason that people are leaving the church in Christianity has nothing to do with whether or not Jesus was the great high priest Melchizedek or any deep teaching in the Bible. They leave because Christians are hypocritical and they're mean as rattlesnakes. We can call it whatever we want to call it. We can call it ain't nobody going to chump me or this, this, and this. God doesn't want me to be no fool. But we just lack mercy. We're not known as merciful people. How is it that we are in relationship with a merciful God who gives us new mercies every single day and you don't give mercy to other people? One of my friends was joking around, his wife um, uh, got a job at a bakery and he was like, you thought uh, packing on COVID pounds was tough, (laughs) eating Cheez-Its, imagine if your wife was bringing home cupcakes every single day. Um, Every morning he'd wake up and there'd be more cupcakes on the counter. Now, what would it look like to have a cupcake on the counter every single morning and you you just never eat it? Like, would you believe somebody that he really was, like, loving his food in his bakery and he didn't have, he didn't gain the the, the quarantine 15 a little bit? I I don't believe Christians that say they truly are in relationship with God and that they are unmerciful. They have yet to taste the goodness and the mercy of God. We have yet to let that wash over us, to compel our hearts to actually treat people differently than they deserve. That is a message of the gospel, that God treats us differently than we deserve. And that is the good news of the gospel. So one, I think it calls us, calls us to be merciful. Jesus says in Luke 6 and 36, he says, be merciful just as your father also is merciful. Be merciful just as your father is also merciful. You now I've realized this, this past week, thinking about all the ways that I'm not merciful uh, and I really don't have mercy. In, probably the main way that I see this playing out in my life is that I struggle to celebrate with other people when they have good things happening to them because I'm, I'm evaluating it whether or not they deserve it. Now, over the years, I've gone from being the younger brother in the prodigal son scenario to being the older brother. Uh, in the story of the prodigal son, there, is, there are two sons and the older hears that his father has slain the fattened calf and they're having they got, uh, they're having a, an amazing party inside and the older brother is outside, he will not go in the party because he doesn't believe that his little brother deserves anything uh, good to happen to him. What has he done to deserve the fattened calf? All these years I've been doing all of this and you, didn't, you never slain the fattened calf for me? We had halal like twice, but you didn't do anything like this for me. Uh, I struggle to celebrate with people and it's because I don't really believe in mercy. If I truly believe that God does not treat me according to the way my sins deserve, then I'd be able to celebrate with other people. But there's a deep part of me that really wrestles uh, with that. And the last thing I want us to do this week is I want us to pray like mercy is real. I want you to pray like mercy is real and tangible. And in mercy, God's mercy is not about the, the, the recipient, it is about the source, it is about him. There's a scripture in Hebrews 4 and 16, that says, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. God being merciful means that you can come to him with boldness. Now, there's a couple people in my life who do very bold things, borderline disrespectful depending on how uh, you look at it. Uh, It's mainly my children. They're very disrespectful. Uh, my youngest, who's three years old, if you see him, he's never missed a meal. Like, he walks and his stomach is just out, like here. He's a solid dude. He loves to eat. And if he sees you eating something that he wants, he takes it. He doesn't ask. He walks to the plate, takes it, and starts eating it. Sometimes then, he'll just make you feed him the very thing you were just enjoying. Now, who has the boldness like that? A child. A child. See what great love the Father has on us that we shall be called the children of God. Oh, see what great love the Father has for us. I want us to pray like mercy is is real, like God is truly merciful, like God truly has wiped our slates clean and forgiven us, not because of us, but because of his great love for us in, in Christ. Let me pray for us. God, our Father, I am grateful for your mercy God, remind us afresh, let us know how real it is. Make that truth real, not just in our heads, but in our hearts of how profound you are, that you give mercy, that you are merciful. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord, the author and the finisher of our faith, and not on ourselves. In Jesus' let me pray, amen.